You are listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. This is Michael Litchens with you once more on the podcast here with uh, someone who should be familiar with most of you. This is Mr. Shane Kapler. He's written for Catholic Exchange a few times. He's a very well-known author, evangelist, seems to do tons of book reviews. I don't know how he has time for all of it, but it's always exciting to talk to him and to get his thoughts on things. So Shane, welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's absolutely our pleasure. Uh, to kick things off really quickly, uh, some folks have already been introduced to it, but you have a book out that's been for a little while now, and it's called Through, With, and In Him. And that's where you talk about the prayer life of Jesus, and you do a lot in the Old Testament. Can you tell us a little bit more about that book? Oh, sure. Um, well, it, it really takes its lead from the fourth part of the Catechism that talks about how our prayer life as Catholic Christians is a participation in Jesus's own human prayer to the Father. And so this book, it looks at what was Jesus's prayer like as a first century Jewish man. And it explores how his human prayer continues to be present in the church's sacraments, devotions, mm -hmm. and practices. And so um, how is it that, that our spiritual life as Catholics inserts us into the human prayer of Christ. Um, I love the part in the catechism that says that Jesus prays in us and with us. And so it's that idea that the son has lifted us up into his own relationship with the father. And when we praise the father, when we express our love to him and thank him, we are participating in the prayer of Jesus' own sacred heart. So that that's really what that book is. And it looks at you know, Jesus's life chronologically, his prayer, what we know of it, and then uh, cherry picks which sacraments and devotions matches up with each of those. And if I recall correctly, you actually spent a lot of time also exploring the Jewish prayer tradition. Am I right in that? Correct. Yeah, okay. that was uh, that was the biggest part of the research for this book that no doubt that was new to me. Um, spent a lot of time down at St. Louis University's library. And what surprised mm -hmm. me, Michael, was how little had really been written in English on first century Jewish prayer. Um, it, that was hard to track down. But as I got into it and was able, well, I mean, I, I knew going in that our prayer was related to Jesus's own. But mm -hmm. when I really started studying what his Jewish prayer was, then, I mean, all of these points just start clicking together, and I was even more amazed than when I began. This is one of those questions I ask, and it's immediately obvious to me. How much of the first century Jewish prayer tradition really influenced Christ's public ministry? Well, that's a fantastic question. Um, Pope Benedict, in his first volume of Jesus of Nazareth, he points out how the Jewish feast how Christ's life and his revelation really seemed tied in many ways to the Jewish feast. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Transfiguration matches up with the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and knowing the background of the Feast of Tabernacles deepens uh, what we know of the Transfiguration. It deepens our understanding. Uh, the Feast of Passover. I mean, once we get into the Jewish prayer tradition and then look at Jesus's words, look at his actions, they take on much deeper significance. Uh, for example, what really blew me away was I, I started to study the temple liturgy. 
And there was a daily temple liturgy, which I knew nothing about. Um, and that surprised me as much as I love the Jewish roots of our faith. But every day at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., there was what was called the Tamid, the daily offering. And it was a lamb, bread, and wine that was offered upon the altar. I mean, if we wow. don't see the significance of that. And, and then we think about the timing, 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. every single day. Well, when was Christ sent to his death? 9 a.m. When did he expire upon the cross? 3 p.m. I mean, God the Father had written all of this into the liturgy of Israel. And um, if you could not be present in the temple to participate in the prayer and the liturgy that went on at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., and most Jews could not. I mean, Jesus and his family, they lived a good 75 miles away from Jerusalem. But the Jewish people, about 200 years before Jesus' birth, began the practice of stopping at the times of the day when the Tamid was offered and spiritually uniting themselves to the sacrifice that was going on there. Uh They would physically turn towards Jerusalem and they would pray. They would spiritually participate in the Tamid. Well, this is what we do. I mean, the Eucharist is the center of our life, Christ offering. And many times myself, I can't be there at daily mass, but we're encouraged to spiritually unite, to consecrate our whole day and all our activities to Christ offering made present in the Eucharist. So mm-hmm. again, when Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill them. That's the truth. I mean, that's what the Lord does in in the Eucharist and in our Catholic spirituality. It's it's the fulfillment of everything that the Lord gave to Israel. It really is. And uh, right as you were talking about that, I was immediately thinking, wow, that is not unlike what we do today, Uh, especially those of us who try to pray the liturgy of the hours or something where, okay, we can't make it to mass, but we're going to unite ourselves with this celebration all the same and stay in it. That's exactly right. Yeah, the liturgy of the hours. And, oh, man, when when we read the church's instruction to the liturgy of the hours, Mm -hmm. they really zero in in those instructions on the fact that this is the prayer of Christ, the head and the body that we're participating in. And so uh, it, that's really what my whole whole book is about. I mean, it's summed up in, in the instruction of the Liturgy of the Hours. Oh, that's wonderful. We're pretty big on the Liturgy of the Hours here at Catholic Exchange. We offer links and it's something we, a devotion we really do push because it's amazing how much you can change your, not just your prayer life, but the entirety of your beliefs and your spiritual life as a whole it's amazing what it could do so i could i'm not surprised that the first century jewish people would have had a similar practice at all uh now to switch gears a little bit i want to talk because one of your most well-received articles here at catholic exchange and i owe this is one i love to come back to and also themes in your book i absolutely adore you had one called how to pray when words won't come is that actually a common problem for everyone or is that just me (laughs) no man i I know it has been in my own life. Um, Yeah. And uh, that article, it, well, it zeroes in. It starts with the prayer of Jesus within the womb of Mary. So here we are in Advent and uh, the epistle to the Hebrews, which I also love. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, In the book of Hebrews, it says that when Christ came into the world, he said, you know, I'm sacrifices and, and, and burnt offerings you desire not, but a body you prepared for me. 
I come to do your will, O God. So Hebrews gives us this idea that in the very act of the incarnation, Jesus is praying. I mean, as, as an infant, as a in utero child, he is already in the heights of his human soul, gazing upon God the Father. And just by being this growing child, he is praying. He's in the Father's presence. And it's an act of worship. Well, it's wordless prayer. I mean, Jesus, he is a true human infant. It's not words. Um, it is simply being in the presence of the Father, of offering yourself. This is what is available to us in those moments when we are so assailed by grief or um, or I've shared with you before that in my own life, struggling with depression at yes. certain times, when I don't have the words to say, I mean, I'm in such pain or such confusion. And But that prayer of Christ, that in utero prayer is available to us when we can just go to the Lord present in the tabernacle or present in the adoration chapel and place ourselves before him, just the act of coming to him is an act of prayer. And we have objectively entered into his presence. It doesn't matter how we feel. doesn't matter that we can't form coherent thoughts to say to him. We just throw ourselves before him and we're present there. And he's present to us. It's uh, like that great story that the curé of ours shared where there was an old gentleman in his parish who came day after day and he would sit in the church staring up at Jesus who was exposed on the altar. And one day John Vianney said to him, what is it that you're saying to the Lord all day when you're gazing up at him? And the old man said, I'm not really saying anything. I'm not very good at talking. I just look at him and he looks at me. And man, that is that is the presence of Jesus that's available to every single one of us in the sanctuary. Um, and if we can't be in the sanctuary, to just sit before a holy image, an icon, a, a prayer card, and gaze upon it, and let that image speak the message that it was created for. I am with you. And be in the Lord's presence. That's that's prayer. And uh, go off on what one of our listeners calls Mike's special tangents. see a lot of that in my own life. One of the reasons why I got so into icons, and if anyone came to my office, they'd wonder if I was trying to buy all the iconostasis for a Greek church. But the reason why I got into that was because of a very kind Dominican who knew I had depression and knew I was struggling with prayer and that I had no idea what I was supposed to pray. And he said, well, okay, if you can't say the Our Father or Hail Mary, can you sit in front of an icon and merely utter the words, you're God? I am not. Please help. And that was surprisingly easy to do, and it was so helpful to do because if you have no words to come, it's like, well, I'm here. We'll see what happens next. And <laughs> it makes a huge that, difference. <laughs> that is beautiful. I remember my first experience with an icon. I was reading a book by Reniaro Cantalamesa. Mm. It was, a, I think it's called Mary Icon of the Church. And in it, it had prints of a few icons that he was using as he was writing these chapters. And I'd never gazed upon an icon before, but when I sat there and let my eyes come to rest on one of Mary holding the child Jesus and their two cheeks touching each other, suddenly the, the humanity of Christ became so real to me. It was like 
I could have reached out and touched his cheek myself. Mm -hmm. And it, that was my first experience of icons, but it made a believer out of me that this is an incredible form of prayer. Yes, it is. And it's a reason why it survived the church for so many hundreds, thousands of years now. And it's one I wholly embrace. <laughs> Glad to do it. Uh, regarding like one, I'm trying to recall one chapter in your book. You talk about how prayer is a uh, God's love for God is a phrase I think you use. And it's yeah. returning. It's sort of returning God's love for us back to God. So uh -huh. in that process, can you ex go into that a little bit deeper? I remember being very intrigued by that chapter. Sure. Well, when we think about the Trinity, uh, mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus is the one who has received all he is from the Father. And he pours himself out in return to the Father, a return of love. And that love between the Father and the Son contains all that they are. And you and I know this. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. So we could say that within the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the communication of the Father to the Son and vice versa, the Holy Spirit is prayer within the Trinity. Now, when God the Son becomes a man and he invites us into his own prayer, we're baptized, and immediately the Holy Spirit rushes into our souls and begins praying within us. Um, when Paul says that we don't know how to pray as we ought to, but the Spirit, the Spirit of God, prays within us with, with groanings too deep for words to, to comprehend. And that starts in us at baptism, the Spirit, the love that Jesus, who we've been joined to in baptism, the love that he has for the Father is now coursing through our spirits and is pouring through us in that return to the Father. So prayer is, prayer is God, God the Son's love, the Holy Spirit, for God the Father, being, uh, being flowing through us as a conduit. And um, as we participate in the Eucharist, is we're giving thanks. We're doing so in Christ, with Christ. The Spirit is, is bringing those words, the intentions of the Sacred Heart, to our lips. And I think that this is, I mean, really, this is what prayer is supposed to be when we talk about contemplative prayer, that ultimately it's this infused prayer. It's this gift of God. It's, it's God at work in us taking us deeper into his own mystery. Um, I think that's probably the, the best that I could say it at the moment, Michael. Um, it <laughs> that's sounds, great. It sounds very theoretical, but it's lived out in very basic ways. Um, you know, uh, yeah, just being faithful Catholics. Absolutely. And speaking of faithful Catholics, I always amazed at how much you write and read at the same time. And so much so, you now have yet another book coming out, if I recall. Is this on the letter to the Hebrews? It is, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, this, uh, it's funny how this book came about, because I had started writing a book on the Blessed Mother, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, specifically devotion to the Immaculate Heart, and trying to show how, that, how that's in agreement with Scripture. And as I'm doing this, I'm talking with a friend at work, and he's asking me questions about Hebrews. Uh, he's a Baptist gentleman. And so I was answering them, and uh, he was just excited about this epistle. And I shared with him, you know, uh, 
Tony, about 12 years ago, I did a five-week Bible study on this for a prayer group I was, I was involved with. And uh, I always thought maybe someday down the line, I might revisit this as a book project. And he said, gosh, I really wish you would. And he came back to me the next week. He'd been reading some more with some more questions and told me again, I really hope you pursue that Hebrews book. Well, I started thinking about it and uh, I was laying in bed one night praying and said, Lord, maybe the book on Mary is not what you want me to do. Um, could Hebrews be a possibility? And I think it was either the next day or two days later, um, our friend, Dr. Kevin Boast emailed me and mm -hmm. said, hey, I just ordered a series of Thomas Aquinas's commentaries on the letters of Paul. And they sent me two copies of his commentaries on Hebrews. They don't want it back. I seem to remember you a while back telling me that you were interested in that epistle. I thought this must be Shane's copy. So that was my confirmation that I should go ahead and, and look into Hebrews again. So um, what I did was I expanded the study from five parts to seven. Mm -hmm. And Hebrews, what had come out to me uh, several years ago was that it is a primer on the Catholic faith. If you go through it sequentially, you encounter the Trinity, the truth of the incarnation, the word of God, salvation through the priesthood of Christ, uh, communion of saints, the Eucharist, and finally the authority of the church's ordained ministers. That, if you want to talk about our foundational beliefs as Catholics, that really covers it. And by looking at this one epistle of the New Testament, you can introduce people to all of those topics and really get into some deep theological waters in the process. What does Hebrews teach us about the Incarnation? One thing that it really, really speaks to me on is uh, in Hebrews 10, as we mm -hmm. were talking about Christ's prayer before, in the womb of Mary. Hebrews, it, it shows us that exact thing, that when Christ entered the world, when he entered the womb of Mary, he presented himself to the Father. That very act of becoming incarnate, the Son was surrendering himself to the Father's will. Wow. And really, that's what Advent is about. I mean, that's that's what Jesus did in the incarnation, and it's what Mary did to make the incarnation possible, to surrender herself completely, body and soul, to the Father's will. So that that's really a fantastic place for us to start. But then also Hebrews, I think more so than any other New Testament book, it talks about Jesus' humanity in just the starkest terms, the way that as he's approaching the cross, he is pleading with the Father through tears that he can be spared from death. But he had to learn obedience through suffering and that he was tried, that he was tempted in every way that we are, but he did not fail. He remained strong. And that, that strength that he shows was our redemption. He succeeded where Adam and every single one of us have failed. So, yeah, the incarnation, Christ surrendered to the Father's will, but also his obedience in suffering and the fact that he was fully, completely, totally human in all things like us, but original sin and concupiscence. Wow, that sounds very amazing. Can't wait to read it. Uh, when does it come out, by the way, if you happen to know? Oh, you know, it was slotted for a late November release, and mm -hmm. uh, my publisher contacted me and said that a couple of things there at the company had uh, got out of whack, and they may push it back until either end of this month or beginning of January. 
Okay. Makes perfect sense to me. A uh, late Christmas present for me then. <laughs> Thanks. Excellent. And then there's a question that it always lingers in my mind when I read or edit your work. How did you get into all this, Shane? And that's probably a loaded question, but what made you want to decide, you know what, I'm going to write about prayer, not just prayer, but I'm going to explore it deeply, and then I'm going to really knock it out with Hebrews. What got you interested in doing this? Oh, um, well, I'll tell you, as far as the the Jewish emphasis that I, I have in my writing, it started because when I was in seventh grade at a Catholic school, mm-hmm. I took a field trip to a synagogue. And uh-huh. when I was there listening to our hostess talk to us about her faith, it was the first time in my life that I'd really ever um, tried to come to grips with the idea that, you know, Jesus's own people by and large did not recognize him as the Messiah. Why do I? And, and that started my journey of faith. Now, the Lord, he was incredibly merciful, and he intervened in a very direct, uh, powerful way in my life. And that started my relationship with Jesus. And over, well, it started it cognitively for me. Um, I mean, it really began in baptism, but that's when I became serious, personally serious about being a disciple. And um, over the next seven years, just immersed myself in scripture, and the Lord introduced me to uh, first evangelical Christians and and then other Catholics who were on fire for the faith, uh, youth ministers and a a youth group. And one by one, the the different Catholic beliefs, Jesus just showed me the beauty of them. His mother, confession, and uh, the Eucharist, and the authority of the Pope, and the bishops, and all these things. And at the same time, I was always interested in the Jewish roots of the faith. So I kept digging in on these different subjects, how those related to the Old Testament. And um, interestingly enough, I mean, the book of Hebrews, it really deals with how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. So it's it's strong um, Old Testament flavor has always appealed to me. And I guess those are kind of the, the connecting dots. As far as how I got writing about the prayer life of Jesus, um, I'll tell you that um, that jumped out at me one day when I was at mass, I was praying, Lord, what do you want my next Catholic exchange article to be? And these series of thoughts started clicking together. And I realized, well, that's not just an article. I mean, that could be a whole book. And so that's how that one came about. Wow. It's exciting. And then uh, my penultimate question, now, along with writing your own books, you're also an epic book reviewer so to throw out a little question here in the last i'd say in 2015 can you name one or two books that you're absolute favorite to read uh i can i can um but this is this is a tricky question because Mm -hmm. there's one book that i read over and over and it's saint louis de montfort's true devotion to the blessed virgin mary yes and I've just been going through sections of that again, um, renewing my own consecration. So that book, um, I can't get away from it. It's still one of my favorites of 2015. Um, and then, uh, Michael, one that really stood out, and it's one that you had a hand in. Uh, and I will always mispronounce her name, but is it Chiara Patrol? Chiara. Chiara. Okay. I need to Google, I needed to Google that before we spoke. No Chiara Patrillo, her story and, and that element of redemptive suffering that flows through there, 
Uh, that is a very rare book, and I encourage people to pick it up and to grapple with it and be amazed at the way that Jesus can bring the joy of the resurrection into the midst of the cross. Uh, it is incredible. So, um, yeah, and, and I'll tell you, there's one that I just read, um, and it hasn't been released yet, but our friend Kevin Boast, he has a new one called Memorize the Mass that's going to come out soon. Mm. Um, and it is it is one of the best books on the Mass I have ever read. I kid you not. Uh, he goes through the, the Novus Ordo and the Extraordinary Form and goes through every part of both of them. Incredible. Oh, wow. That uh, No surprise that that would come from Kevin Vost whatsoever, but wow. Another writing I, machine I just don't understand, but good on him. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm glad you also enjoyed Kiara. Uh, as I'm very biased with that book because I remember when I first encountered the manuscript, I was immediately like, we need to get this in America right now. And I wasn't going to take no for an answer. So I'm glad people are enjoying that. That is uh, hands down. I put that in the top 10 best books I've ever read in terms of just the, its lasting impact. So glad you enjoyed it as well. Oh, most definitely. All right. Then uh, we're wrapping up uh, here. I know we've clipped along here. But Shane, why don't you tell us, uh, if folks want to learn more about you, maybe buy your books, where can they find you? Sure. If you go to www. It's all one word, explainingchristianity.com. Mm -hmm. You can find uh, links to my book reviews and articles at Catholic Exchange. Also, um, web pages for each of my books and their tables of contents. And then uh, I'll have a link to our podcast up there, too, in a little bit. Excellent. Well, Shane, thank you so much for coming on here. This was a really enlightening and fun conversation. So I'm sure our listeners will be greatly blessed by it. But can't thank you enough for joining us. Thanks a million. It's my pleasure. Thank you. To all of you listening, that's uh, Shane Kapler. He's at explainingchristianity.com. You can also find that link through Catholic Exchange if you just type in Shane Kapler. You'll find him very quickly and also his wonderful articles. We'll put links up at catholicexchange.com when we publish this podcast. As always, you can email me, editor at catholicexchange.com, if you have a question for me, or even more so, if you want to stump Shane, he's open. And I'll look forward to hearing from you. God love you, and have a wonderful week.